is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. Verse one. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good besides you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. The Lord is my portion, my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my inheritance or my heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh will also dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that as we come to your word, that we would see what David saw, that we would know what David knew. And that we would rejoice as David rejoiced in his one true satisfaction and delight, which is you, O God. Let that be for us this morning as well. I decrease so that you may increase, become less, so that you may become more. And we do pray for Pastor Isaiah, who is today preaching at Pastor Nate Church in Santa Clarita. Please be with him. Please give him your word and let him be faithful unto it. We ask this in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. We do pray that you and your family had a wonderfully blessed Christmas. Last week, in light of the Christmas season, we considered the real meaning of Christmas from the second chapter of the book of Luke. We learned that the real meaning of Christmas is all about the glory of God. It is about peace, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, that has come among men to make peace between God and man. And we learned that this peace is for those whom God is pleased to set his love upon. And that love has been an eternal love with which he has loved those who belong to him. We will return to the book of Genesis next Lord's Day. But with another holiday approaching us very quickly, the new year, I thought it would be helpful for us to together reflect on the year that will be passing us in just two days time. And to ask this question about the year that is now passing us. And here it is. This year, 
the year 2019 or 18. What has been the true satisfaction and delight of your heart? This year that is passing us now. What has been your true satisfaction? And what has been your true delight this year? I wonder how you would answer that question. What has been the great pursuit of your heart this year? Or to ask it this way, what and where have you invested the most of your time this year? What and where have you invested the most of your money this year? What and where have you invested the most of your thoughts and your passions, your affections this year? And what has brought you the most satisfaction? I wonder what your answer would be. As we come to the end of this 2018 year. And I wonder what your answer will be. Should the Lord tarry and should we live to see it at the end of the year 2019? Will it be any different? Today, with the Lord's help, we shall consider three points from the 16th Psalm. Of where true satisfaction lies. And not one year. Not two years. But for every day that the Lord gives you. And and the person who believes in him. Breath to live on this earth. Number one. There is only one true satisfaction. Our first point. There is only one true Satisfaction. This is verses 1 through 4. The 16th Psalm was penned by the hand of David through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We do not have a specific context with which this Psalm was written, but the Psalm itself, the words contained within the 16th Psalm, give us insight into what David was possibly experiencing. When he prophetically penned these words in this psalm. So then, the text itself and other texts throughout the scriptures, they give us insight into the purpose of this psalm. In this psalm, David is praising God because God has made him discontent with the things of this world. And the Lord has given David a heart that is solely satisfied in God alone. David has, by the grace of God, come to desire the only true, the only one true source of satisfaction. And he is wholly committed to that one true source. David begins this psalm, though, by making a request. You notice that there? As we read through the entire psalm, uh, we will find that that. This is the only one request of David in all of the psalm. And here is his request. Verse 1. Preserve me, O God. 
Throughout the rest of the psalm, David will make declarations. He will make commitments and he will even prophesy. But here in the very beginning of this psalm, he makes his one and only request to the Lord. And here it is. Preserve me, O God. Brothers and sisters, what a fitting prayer. What a fitting request for the new year. As the new year approaches, I wonder if your prayer would be, keep me, O God. Preserve me, O God. I wonder when was the last time that your and my prayer was as so simple and yet ever so theologically profound and dependent as this. God, keep me. God, preserve me. It is a prayer of absolute dependence. It is a prayer of of utter helplessness apart from God. It is a prayer that only those who recognize that they are but dust and take no confidence in their own strength to keep themselves. It is that kind of prayer that those kind of people pray. Keep me. It is the kind of prayer that those who know that, that they are only one step away. One sin away. One wrong decision away from losing everything if God does not keep them. You and I, we only take one step after another closer to God because we are being preserved by God. We only take one step after another. And then if you can imagine one Now here comes the other one, only because we are being preserved by God. And by Him, we are being drawn nearer and nearer and nearer. Preserve me, O God, David prayed. And he continues to to explain his prayer. Why, David? Why this prayer? Verse 1, because for in you I take refuge. We just sang, O God, our help in ages past, our shelter from the storm, our shelter from the stormy blast. David has asked the Lord, preserve him. And he is making this request on the basis that, that, that he has entrusted all that he is. Body, mind, and soul to the Lord who is his refuge. And think of the imagery. And think of the song that we have just sung. A refuge is a place of shelter. He is saying, the Lord, you are my shelter. You are my, my shelter from the stormy blast. David is giving to us a picture of one who is being uh, in the midst of being assailed. David is, is giving us the imagery of weapons from the enemy that are, that are raining down on him. And when he thinks of where can I run? Where can I go as, as I am being assailed? As I am being assaulted, where can I run? And for David, there is only one place to go. It is to the Lord. For David, there are not many places to go. For David, there are not many options. The Lord is not David's last resort. He is David's only resort. The Lord is his only sanctuary. He is his only asylum from the arrows that fly by day and the terrors that, that assail him by night. 
The Lord has entrusted, or David has entrusted himself wholly to God. There are no other refuges. There are no other safe places. David doesn't have a plan B. There is no backup plan for David. The Lord is his all in all. Everything that he needs, all of his resources are found in God alone. My dear brothers and sisters, what has been your refuge this year? Where have you run when you have been assailed by the world? Where have you run when you have been assailed by the flesh? Where have you run? Who, what has been your refuge when you have been assailed by the devil? And in the year to come, who and what will be your refuge? For David, there was only one. He said, I said to the Lord, you you are my Lord. You may notice that the first Lord is all capital. And the second Lord is, is in normal caps. And here is what David is saying in essence. I said to Yahweh, you are my Adonai. Yahweh, the covenant name of God. It is the name that God describes or that describes God's perfect sufficiency. That describes God's absolute adequacy for all things and in all things. It is the name that the Lord revealed to Moses in the burning bush. He said, tell them, I am That I am. In this psalm, David declares that the all-sufficient one, the one who is simple, the one who is infinite in being, infinite in perfection, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself, who is a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, without parts, without passions, who is immutable, immense, incomprehensible, eternal, most wise, most holy, most free. David declares to that one, you are my master, you are my Adonai. The Lord was, listen to this, the Lord was David's ruler, his master, The one who dominated him. Does that make sense? We may say, well, of course. The Lord is master over everyone, is he not? He's everyone's master. And though it is true that the Lord is the sovereign ruler of all the earth, David was not simply stating a fact about the rulership of God over all the earth. Here's what David was saying. David was speaking about something that was uniquely exclusive in his own heart. The Lord was the master of all of David's affections. All of his devotion. And all of his satisfaction. Now think about what we believe may be the context. It was as though through the the assailing that was taking place in David's life, David's heart is reminded where his true satisfaction is found. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I said to Yahweh, you are my master. True satisfaction is found not in the absence of affliction. 
but it is in knowing that afflictions cannot rob you of true satisfaction. Does that describe your heart? Does God rule your heart? Is he master over your affections? Listen, is he master over your affections even in the midst of afflictions? Can you say along with David, you are my Lord, you Lord are my Lord. You are my one true satisfaction in spite of all that is assaulting and assailing me now. Nothing can rob me of my true satisfaction and my true joy. Or would we say, you would be good if all the other things were better. If this was all better, you would be good. But don't we act like that sometimes? Don't we respond that way sometimes? Could we say along with David in verse 2, I have no good besides you. Think of that. Think of what David is saying. This is David. I have no good besides you. Think of those words. Think of the one who has penned. This is King David. This is not David down the street. This is King David. David, you have no good besides God. He is the one who's killed the lion and the bear. He is the one who's slayed the giant. He is the one who has married the king's daughter. And he is the one who ultimately will be given the throne, has been given the throne. And we could discuss at length the many goods that David possessed, the many goods that David enjoyed. And yet, when his soul was assaulted, when his mind was assailed, not one of those goods could give to him the solace, the comfort, the satisfaction that he found only in God. We may observe our life and see many goods and even pursue many goods. And yet we will find that not one of those goods will ever be able to completely and fully satisfy. They are good. But they are not the source of all good. Which is why their goods don't last. You will experience this, hopefully some of us at Christmas, did we not? The, the joy of opening the present was wonderful, but it was fleeting. The joy of opening the gift. Some of you may have seen my son on, on wherever my wife put it. <clears throat> and his reaction to his, his new room. Look at him right now. It is past. As do all earthly goods. They pass. They don't last. They are fleeting. Gone with the wind. And yet we continue to chase them over and over again. It is not as though David did not have any goods. But because his David's heart belonged to God. Listen, when he traced all of the, the springs of goods, if you will. He found that the fountain source of them all is God. When he traced every single one of them, he found that their one true source is God. 
Therefore, God is his one true satisfaction. Psalm 73, he says, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This is not only true in seasons of lack. This is true, especially in seasons of plenty. For it is in seasons of plenty when we are most tempted to take our eyes off of the one true source. God only knows what lies before us in the year to come. Whether it be a year of plenty or whether it be a year of lack. Let the song of our soul be this. I have no good but you, O God. David says, as for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those, listen to what he says, who have bartered for another God. You know what it is to barter? You know what it is to barter? Barter is to, to try to make a deal. It's what many of my customers love to do to me every single day when I say, this is what it will be. Well, how about this? No. This is what, the, the sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. The sorrows of those who have Try to make a deal with another God. Their sorrows will be multiplied, he says. I shall not pour out their drink offerings or of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. Listen, as we progress, it appears as though David then begins to, as he's being assailed, as, as he's being assaulted, he begins to, to think of those whom God has placed in his life. Those who have been a great source of encouragement to his soul in times of plenty and in times of lack. And David also thinks about those who have foolishly sought delight in places other than in God. He thinks of two people while he's being assailed. The saints, he says, they share his delight. They, like David, they, they, they have no good. No good thing apart from God. They are the ones whose lives encourage him to keep the faith. They are the ones whom God has placed in his life that encourage David to press on in good times and in bad times. They are those who encourage David to walk wholeheartedly before God. May I say to you, brothers and sisters, it is to these that you and I should commit our friendships to. It is to these that we should be deeply and permanently committed to. It is to these that we should take into our confidence, for they will encourage you to keep the faith, to press on, and to walk wholeheartedly before God. They will encourage you by word and by deed. You will come, and they will be here, and their presence and their words will encourage you to press on. I'm dealing with a hay fever. And as soon as I walked in, the son of encouragement, Anthony, says, you look terrible. I said, thank you, brother. Exactly what I needed to hear this Lord's day. (coughs) And while our sister Ophelia said, you've got the eye of the tiger, pastor, preach the gospel. Pick the ladder. 
as your close confidant. <laughs> May I ask you, do you have close friends like that? Those who encourage you in the faith. May I ask you further, are some of them present here in this church? If so, praise God. If not, why not? And are they members of any church? Now, let me press further into this. And if they are not, what possibly can they spur you on to? What possibly could they encourage you unto? My closest friend, and yet not a believer, and not a part or under any ministry, any church. What on earth could they possibly encourage you unto? Do I have friends from high school? I've got one. How often do I talk to them? Very, very rarely. David then turns to the other group of people who do not find the delight in the Lord. They are those who have sought the delight and satisfaction in false gods. They, they have bartered with other gods. And the end result of their bartering, the end result of their trying to make a deal, is that their sorrows are multiplied. And David will have nothing to do with them. Or, to say it better, he will have no intimacy with them. He will not entrust them into their, he will not entrust himself to their counsel. They have bartered and, and they are investing things. They, they are making deals, investing things in other gods, hoping to receive a greater return than what they would receive if they trusted themselves to God. You hear that? They've made divided investments, if you will, into other things other than God, hoping that if they diversify their investments, they will receive a greater return. And they will receive a greater return. And the greater return is that of sorrow for their sinful and foolish investment. They have turned to things other than God for their satisfaction. But those things are broken. They, they foolishly Feel those things. They feel their affections. They feel their mind. They feel their money with those things. They feel their time with those things. And then they wonder, why have those things so quickly emptied? And so they, they, they foolishly run to those things again. And they fill them again with their minds and with their affections and with their loves and with their times and with their monies and so on. And they empty again. And they run back again and run back again. And they don't understand how come it's not lasting. It's because they are filling broken wells that cannot hold water. They are broken. They're not meant to hold water. And the sad thing is when the believer does this, the great folly is when the believer does this, the so-called believer runs to these things and fills them over and over again only to find that they're not holding, they're not lasting. 
This was the sin of the first man, Adam, whose heart was divided. He believed that he might find satisfaction, fulfillment somewhere other than in God. And the only thing that he found was an increase of pain, sorrow, death and misery of sin that he's passed on now to every generation thereafter. We recently posted on our Facebook page this, a quote from Matthew Henry. Those who multiply gods, multiply griefs for themselves. For whoever thinks one God too little will find two, too many, and yet hundreds not enough. To summarize this point very simply, our satisfaction is found in God alone. Number two, satisfaction is educated. Satisfaction is educated. This is verses five through eight. As David apparently wrestles with his affliction, Whatever is assailing him, his heart is comforted, not just by what he feels, but his feelings have been instructed, listen to this, by what he knows. His feelings are being filtered through understanding. This is not simply an affection that David had without understanding. The Lord has not created us to be mindless lovers of God who don't know and who do not understand a thing. For true satisfaction is enlightened with knowledge, knowledge of God and a right understanding and a right assessment of who God is. Now, the question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that we've been commanded not just to feel right, but to know? Brothers and sisters, how have you displayed this year? That you are in pursuit of knowing. Well, let's ask this. What was it that David knew? What did David know? David declares, the Lord is my portion. This is what he knows. Brothers and sisters, what is that portion then? David, through the affliction, begins to express what he has. He knows what belongs to him. It is possible that all that David had at this particular time when this was being written, it is possible that all of that was being threatened. That all that David had was was on the verge of being taken away. And David declares in the midst of that possibility, the Lord is my portion. Well, when when the Lord pulled David out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and set his feet upon a rock, when, when the Lord gave David a firm place to stand, what was David's greatest gift? Was it the killing of the lion and bear? Was it the slaying of the great giant? Was it being given the hand of the king's daughter in marriage? Was David's greatest gift the throne? That he sat upon and ruled upon. Guess who gives us the answer? David. He says, you are my portion. 
What is, who is you? God. It is quite possible, again, that it was all in jeopardy of being taken away. And in spite of all of the things that David possessed, possibly being taken away, David declares, but you are my portion. You are my greatest gift. You are my greatest possession. All that I have is completely and wholly bound up in you. I have no good thing besides you. Take everything. You can't take him. Take it all. The one thing that matters most to me is God. He is my portion. He is all that I desire. Listen, God does not call him to himself, uh, us to himself, to give us something greater than himself. Did you hear that? God does not call us out of darkness to give us something greater than himself. If he gave us something greater than himself, that thing would be God. He gives us himself. God is our gift. God is our possession. God is our greatest portion. It is God. Are you looking for your blessing this morning? Are you hoping that a check will come in the mail that will change your life? Are you waiting for Mr. or Mrs. Wright to walk through the church doors? Are you hoping that a meeting of promotion will happen? Or that a letter of acceptance to that college will come? Let me say to you, all of those are great things. But what will be your only true good? Will they be your portion? Your greatest possession? Or will you and I say like David, even if those things come, praise God. But the fountainhead of all of those good things is God alone. The man of old called this the beatific vision. And that is to gaze upon God. And to perfectly be satisfied in Him. What does God give us when we come to Him? Not silver, not gold, not something perishable. Not something uh, momentarily good, momentarily satisfying. But He gives to us the most enduring, the most reliable, the most rewarding, the greatest good. The Lord God Himself. The Lord has filled David's cup. You get that imagery? Yeah, someone ever poured you something at a restaurant and they, they pour it to the very top and you look at it and you, you think to yourself, wow, to the very top you went, didn't you? And you had to, right, out to the cup, right? The Lord has filled David's cup. He supports David's lot. And then David begins to describe what he's received as from God as something like receiving an inheritance of land. But this land that has been given to him has no boundaries. He, he starts to think about the fact that God is all his. And then he starts to use all these analogies. It's like a cup being filled to the top. It's like everything that I have being paid for. It's like being given a piece of land. And the person who gives you the land says... This is all yours. And then when you ask, well, what are the boundary lines? The person says, what boundary lines? It's all yours, Simba. Right? (laughs) Beyond what you can see, it is all yours. There are no lines. 
It belongs to you. What belongs to you? God belongs to you. Because you belong to God. The inheritance is boundless because it is God who is boundless. He is the God of heaven and earth. He is our portion. He fills our cup. He sustains our lot. He not only gives to us, but he sustains us. It's what David said. He is my all in all. It is the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this wonderful instruction, this blessed understanding. Listen, it's being given to David. When? When does this instruction take place? Listen to what David said. This instruction is taking place at night. At night. It is. David is telling us when this is taking place. We've established, we think he's being assailed. We've established that as he's being assailed, he he is rejoicing that God is his, but he's also being instructed at night. As he possibly lay in his bed in the darkest of night. Awake, you ever been there? Just in bed. And just awake. I can't sleep. Mind is being assailed. Heart does not want to slow down. Anxiety won't let you close your eyes and just rest. And as he is on the on the verge of affliction, in the midst of affliction. There comes an instruction to his heart. He's reminded in the midst of that. Have you been there? In the midst of that. You ever had a night like that? A night like David's night. A night like David was having. Where your thoughts have chased you all day long and finally caught up to you in the darkest of night. And there you are. The weight of fear and anxiety assaulting your mind. Family finance, future, children, my church, work. What do you know that will carry you to the rising of the sun and beyond? What knowledge do you possess That will allow you to say, I will close my eyes and sleep. Or may I ask it in terms of our text. What knowledge of God do you possess that will instruct you by night this year? The Lord has said, hide his word in your heart. So that it might carry you through times of difficulty. And when, when these times come. Let what we have hidden in our heart be our teachers to instruct us in times of difficulty and in times of plenty as well. God gives to David and to all of us stability and comfort when circumstances attempt to throw us off the rock that we stand upon. That is the enemy's 
That is his, his main, that is his main objective. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other grounds are sinking sand. Well, the enemy's objective is to knock you off of that rock. And he will assault. And he will assail. And what do you know and believe that will keep you standing nevertheless? Brother and sister, may I say to you, this does not mean that all the things will all of a sudden disappear either. Do we all know that? Yeah. But at least in those times, we will be given a right perspective and the strength to stand in the midst of those things. You may say, well, I don't know God very well. I don't understand these things very well. You've got a plethora of sermons to listen to. You've got accessible elders who are here for you. Anytime, day or night. You've got loving church members who love you and want to walk with you through whatever you don't know or whatever is difficult for you in your life. Use the church. Use the church. Comfort one another. And this is a fixing your heart and mind on God in the face of adversity. He is the Almighty. He is perfect. He is merciful. He is omnipotent. He's able to do all that He has promised. Get all of those things in the front of your minds. Not the back. True satisfaction knows whom it has believed in. To put it very simply... Our knowledge of God will instruct our feelings in seasons when we are tempted to despair. And third and finally, the hope of our satisfaction, it will not disappoint. The hope of our satisfaction will not disappoint. This is verses 8 through 11. You notice that David concludes his psalm in triumph. Can I say to you, all of your prayers should conclude in triumph. Every one of them. Read through all of the psalms. I dare you to find a one that ends in defeat. Because for the believer, there is no defeat. But how? Where is victory? Where is our triumph? It is very possible that whatever adversity David was experiencing did not change as he was writing. So then how does David find victory in this psalm? Verse 8, I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh will dwell secure. Where is the confidence coming from? One may say, well, the fact that the Lord is with him at his right hand, and yes, this is true. But in this psalm, it appears that David is facing death. And the question is, how does David, in the midst of uh, staring death in the face, how does he find confidence? It was as though, and if you can get the imagery, death was knocking at his door. And he knows that death is there. And as death is knocking, David smiles. Because death will not have the final word. 
You could, you could see the footsteps of death as the light of his feet or the shadow of his feet gather underneath the door and David smiles. This will not be the end. Death is a, it's a deadly thing, obviously. Death is not something to rejoice in. Death is that thing that separates us, right? From all that we love. All that we have invested here on this earth. And yet death, or David is given a vision of something greater than death. He says in verse 10, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. David, in a flash, out of nowhere, David is writing and then takes on a different tone, altogether a different voice. It is though it is not David who is speaking anymore. He's not speaking on his behalf. He's speaking on behalf of someone else. And who is that someone else? He is the Messiah. Listen, he is David's son. David no longer speaks on his behalf, but he speaks on behalf of his son. And he says about his son, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. He's not talking about himself. He's talking about his greater son, the king who will sit on his throne. And that throne will be eternal. He is talking about the one whose kingdom shall have no end. David died. Peter said this in Acts chapter 2. David's dead. His grave is there. You can go see him. So then when David was speaking in Psalm 16, Peter is saying he wasn't talking about himself. He is talking about this one that we have witnessed. He is talking about his son that we have seen. He is talking about his son who has risen. David knew he was going to die. God made this promise, though, that your son will sit on your throne and that throne will be an eternal one. David understood this was my distant son, my future son, the one who was to come, the son who is the seed that was promised in the garden. It is to that seed, that son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that David looks to. And David finds comfort, even though death is at his door and says, but my son will gain victory for all who trust in him. While he's on his bed. In the middle of the night. Afflicted in more ways than many of us could possibly understand. He knows that death is there. But there will come one who will not die. There will come one who will conquer death and the grave. Who will be given victory over death. And David finds no confidence in himself. But he finds all of the confidence in the one who is to come. He's been given eyes to see the son in the flesh, actively obeying in his flesh, actively obeying the work given to him by the father. He sees his son passively laying down his life. He sees his son becoming a substitute for all who would uh, trust in him, for all those whom he died for. He sees his son buried And yet not one inch of his body incurring decay because he is the Holy One. And his soul will not be abandoned to Sheol. He is the faithful son. The true seed. The true prophet. The true and final priest. He is David's king. And he is our conquering king. Death will not hold him. Death could not keep him. For through the resurrection, he has swallowed up the sting of death. And this may be why this psalm is referred as the Mitcham of David. 
It is David's golden psalm. It is a psalm that was near and dear to David's heart. And I wonder why. I wonder why. Because it is through this psalm that David finds where his true hope is found. It is in none other but his physical son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was also the eternal son of God. What is our hope? As we close, it is the same as David's. There is one who has broken the back of sin and death and who has opened up the way of life, not only for himself, but he opens that way of life for all those for whom he died who will place their trust in him. Is God your only good and portion? Do you want him to be your only good and portion? Then place your faith in his son. The only way to escape death. And David concludes, you make known to me the path of life. It's through him. It's through him. There is fullness of joy there. And pleasures forevermore in Christ. How do we get there? Entrusting yourself, body, soul, and mind to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is it. Our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. I pray that this year, this new year coming, will be a blessed year for you and for your family. And that your heart would be wholly committed to Christ. And in him alone, you would find your soul satisfaction. Let us pray.